talked about things about the enemy and how they weren't evil. And the article went on and on about other things along this line and really called for no action at all. The interesting thing about the article was it was not written after 9-11. It was written after Pearl Harbor. That a lot of times the same attitudes have been in our country. It's not just something that came up with 9-11. It was here before. You imagine an attack like it was on Pearl Harbor. And people, and I read the entire article. And if you didn't see the date on the article, you would never have known that it was not written after September 11th. We do have to remember, we do face an enemy. The enemy is brutal. The enemy is vicious. The enemy currently, right now, beheads people for their belief in Christ in very brutal ways. We've seen some of the things that they've done, not just beheading, drowning, mass graves of children, women, the enemy is brutal enemy. But God has given us wisdom and will continue to do so. It's a shame that there are people in our country who feel that it's not worth defending. But there are many in our country who do. And I thank God for those. This morning we're going to look into the, the Word of God. We, we started last week talking about questions. We're going to keep on going. Because even when you see a situation like September 11th, Pearl Harbor, and things of that nature, the questions that people generate tells us where they come from. When people generate questions after seeing something like planes being driven into buildings and hear the things that were said, you, um, you wonder, how can they come up with questions like they do? How can they question a country that has done nothing but help? Nothing but going out there and spend our money, spend our, uh, our blood, our lives to help other countries and sit there and point the finger and say, you guys are bad. When there's a disaster in the world, who's the first country who shows up? Who are the first people who show up? We are. It has always been. When the world has a disaster, it's the United States that the world has looked to and it is the United States that has answered. The people who want to try and get us to question our country, its values, its goodness, the questions that they raise tells us some things about them. And as we look into this part of here with questions, we looked last week at some questions that get God's attention. We want to take a look at this week and how we can have good questions. Have you ever heard it said that there are no stupid questions? That was said by a stupid person. There are certainly things like stupid questions. How many of you have ever been asked a stupid question? When they ask the question, you think, did you just ask me that? <laughs> did you really just... Ask me that question. Yeah, that there are stupid questions. We have received them. We may have even given them. We realized afterwards maybe that they were stupid. But there are certain things that make up stupid questions. And there are things that make up good questions. We want to ask God good questions. Last week we looked at getting God's attention in the area of questions. And some questions just don't seem to get God's attention. But other ones do. We saw that Daniel asked the question of God and immediately the answer was sent. Before Daniel's even finished the prayer, the answer is right there. That's a question that got God's attention. We saw later on that he asked another question of God 
And immediately the answer was sent, but it took three weeks to get to him because the enemy did not want that answer to get to him. He didn't want that answer to be revealed. And so for three weeks, a battle took place in the heavens to keep an answer that came from God from getting to men. We saw that bad questions, questions that don't get God's attention, are questions of dissatisfaction, questions that are filled with ungratefulness, being unthankful, questions that are uh, laced with impatience, doubt, self-righteousness, and have a complaining tone. We've used the example for you all because we've all heard this one or at least we've seen it in the movies. Are we there yet? And it gets to be a bit annoying when we hear that. We looked at how that's a lazy question and how it talks about being dissatisfied with where I am. Unthankful that someone else is driving me to a point of location that will be fun. There's an impatience to get there. And we looked at how we can make that into a better question. Good questions contain these qualities. Faith, patience, contentment, and thanksgiving. You can probably put some other qualities in there. But if you just had your questions, have faith, patience, contentment, and thanksgiving, we would do a whole lot better. And then we saw that in Daniel's, in the book of Daniel, as we continue to look on, that we saw that when the answer was sent to Daniel, that it was sent for a certain reason. In verse 11 of chapter 10, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. It is the content, not the position we hold that gets our questions answered. It is the content in our questions, not our position, that gets our questions answered. Sometimes we want to say, because I'm a child of God, God will answer my questions. And how many of you all know you have children that you have that have had questions and you ignored them? Because they were irritating, annoying. They asked it over and over again. You already did answer it. There's a lot of reasons why we've ignored questions. Even from our own children. You just kind of think, just stop asking me that. Are we there yet? Just stop asking me that question. I don't like this. Can I have something else for dinner? We're going to be over in the book of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4, verse 1. I put this up on Facebook. I didn't see that anybody put a guess as to who we were looking at. But if you were thinking inside, how many saw the, the post on Facebook? Did anybody take a guess on the inside who we were thinking about? Anybody? Do? All right. We're looking at the woman at the well. If anybody got that right? John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now you all know why Samaritans were looked down upon. 
Samaritans was an area that was settled by the Assyrians. There were still some of the Jewish folks there, and the Jewish people that were there uh, didn't keep their Jewish blood pure. So it was mingled. So they were part Jew and part whatever else had uh, come in there. And so they were looked upon as less than real people by the Jews. Not that they should have. That's just how they did. So the Jews didn't have a whole lot of dealings with the Samaritans. I think they would have preferred to have dealt with Gentiles over the Samaritan people. So uh, Jesus comes in here and this, this woman comes to the well. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Oh, we missed something in there. Did you see what Jesus did? Verse, um, verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. How many have ever been tired? And weary and said, Father God, I'm just so tired. I'm just so weary. Do you know what you should do for that? Rest. That's what Jesus did. Here's your tidbit of wisdom number one. If you're tired, rest. It's okay. Jesus rested. Sat there by the well. Let the disciples say, guys, I'm tired. Will you guys go in and get us some food? So they went in and got some food and Jesus, uh, he stayed there. Now you might say, well, the disciples walked as far as he did. Yeah, but he was, he was the one ministering. We'll give Jesus the break there. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus, he kind of asked the question here. He, he, it's, uh, he made a statement, but it's more, you know, can, can I have a drink? Could you, would you get me a drink? And um, she doesn't really answer the question or even the statement. She just kind of goes on and says, how are you talking to me? Why, are you, why do you now, and this, this is the attitude that I get from it. Wait a minute, now that you're thirsty and I have something to get some water, now you want to have some dealings with me? If you weren't thirsty and I wasn't the one with the stuff for the well, would you be talking to me? Would you be having anything to do with me? Because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. That's what I get out of this, this, this story. That uh, she's not just kind of surprised that he's talking to her. He says, no, 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 you want my water. Because I have something to get down in the well with and you don't. So you're going to be nice to me until you get some water. Jesus answered and said to her, this is really a loaded statement. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now that tells me a few things, folks, about questions. That first off, Jesus expected a question from her. And the question did not come. If she would have asked the question, she would have received it. A Samaritan. If she would have asked Jesus this question she would have received it. He says, if you knew who was asking you the question, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So because of her lack of knowledge, she does not ask a question that could have changed her life. Do you see that? Her life would not have been changed at all if Jesus hadn't even revealed this part of it to her. But he says, if you knew the gift of God, she didn't know the gift of God. 
She didn't know. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. If you knew those two things, you would have immediately asked me to give you living water. And I would have given it to you. What is it that we are not asking God for that we should be? That he expects us to ask. Because remember in the word of God, until something was asked, it wasn't delivered. Until Daniel asked the question, the answer wasn't sent. Until the disciples asked about the end times, the answer wasn't given. There are many things in the word of God that never would have appeared if someone did not ask. How many times we've gone over this part when Jesus had somebody come to him who needed healing, what did he always do? He asked them a question. What do you want me to do for you? And he'd get them to ask. It's imperative that we ask, but it's imperative that we ask good questions. And a lot of times, folks, we are settling for questions like, how come I'm not healed yet? How come this world is in such disorder? How come there's so much hate? How come there's war? And folks, if we just did some study in the Word of God, we wouldn't be asking half of the questions we are. And many times when we ask questions, we are demonstrating our ignorance of His Word and our own lack of study. We need to be asking questions that are born of knowledge. Knowledge and understanding. This woman didn't have it. He says, if you knew. Because of a lack of knowledge, a question is not asked and thereby the answer is not given. But she could have asked it. So now he even says to her, he's helping her along here. Look, if you knew who I was, the gift of God that's here, you would have asked me to give you living water. And I would have given it to you, basically he's saying. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you, where then do you get that living water? Here's another problem that a lot of us have in the area of asking questions of God. When we ask questions and we get a response, we hear it within the sphere of what we understand and what we can grasp. All that she can understand is Here's the well, and there's water in the well. You need something to get, to attach onto the rope, to lower it down. That's all she can understand. So when Jesus talks about living water, she she can't understand living water. She can't understand a water that is different from the water that she's always had. And so she tries to understand Jesus' statement within the sphere of her understanding. And she comes out with something pretty bizarre. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Well, we've already kind of gone over that Jesus doesn't have the stuff needed to draw water out of the well. So he's not talking about that if he's talking about something that he has. But she can't understand this. And so she asked a question. Look at the question again. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Now, is this a good question? Now, Jesus continues to go on with it here. He's giving her some rope, so to speak. Because this is an ignorant question. This is a stupid question. 
He's not talking about regular water. So Jesus goes on, he tries to explain this to her and help her out with this. <clears throat> she goes on, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? All right, we just made a stupid question stupider. We're being distracted now. We're kind of going off into some other areas. But are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, if she knew who he was, she would know the answer to that question. And he's already brought up that she doesn't know who he is. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Does it kind of add merit to this well that, hey, this well goes all the way back to Jacob? And his sons drank from this well. Wow, this is some kind of water. That's not the same water in the well that was there when Jacob was here. Well, we go on. She's asking questions on this, and the answers will not bring clarity to what Jesus is talking about. How often do we ask Jesus questions that bring no clarity to what it is that he's trying to get across to us? Because we don't have understanding. It's imperative that we get some understanding on the, on the things that we're trying to get answers on. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. This water is the water in the well. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Boy, Jesus has got some understanding on some water. This is not like any kind of water that I understood. He's already said it's not coming from the well. It's a different water. This water will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he's trying to give her more information on this. She can't hear it. She's not able to understand it. It's, it's not computing with her. She's trying to understand everything that Jesus is saying within the scope of the well, regular water, and being thirsty. Natural water. Jesus isn't talking about We all know that. He's not talking about that. But she does not know it. And she can't get past it. She can't understand the things that Jesus is saying. But we see here that he, he makes a, a statement about limits. That the water that's in this well has limits. You can drink it. It will quench your thirst for a little while. But then you're going to get thirsty again. You know, you may drink water and an hour later you may be thirsty again. If it's real, real hot out, it might be sooner. It has limits. But he says, the water that I have, it doesn't have any limits. When I give you this water, it becomes in you its own fountain and it will spring up into eternal life. Now at this point, you would think that the woman would just shut up and listen. They say, look, tell me about this water. I have no idea what to compare this to. Give me some ideas. about. Teach me about this water. And Jesus would have taught her about the water. But she didn't ask that question. She goes on, verse 15. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Now, how many have ever seen, I don't even know what movie it was, a little cartoon movie for kids, you know, and they have that uh, the thing. But we just kind of take this um, example from it. How many have ever heard the example of squirrel? That means a distraction. Because in this movie, whatever this kid's movie is, uh, they have the character in there. It's constantly being distracted by squirrels. Just constantly being distracted by squirrels. Just squirrels just go... Uh, just, you know, he's, he's busy doing something and all of a sudden, squirrel! <laughs> who, who was the character? I don't even know what the character was. I, is it a dog in what movie was it? An up. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen the movie up, but I did see that scene. It was interesting, or at least one of the scenes that was there. 
So we just, uh, a lot of times in our family, we just go right, you know, if a little girl is is, uh, suddenly distracted on something, we just say, squirrel. And we all know what we're talking about. We've been distracted. This woman is being distracted. Something uh, has got her attention. When we become distracted, we become susceptible to things that are not so good. I saw in uh, this week... There was, there was somebody put up, you know, I, I, how many of y'all know I just love cat videos? Well, certain cat videos. Well, one of these cat videos came up that fit into the category of the cat videos that I just absolutely love. And so it was a picture of um, uh, uh, three cats, and they're staring out the window at a bird. And this bird is just kind of fluttering along on the front lawn, and they are just totally, intensely focused on the movements of the bird what they would like to do you can see them dreaming what we would do if we were outside right now just kind of dreaming well then up from behind them came a dog and he looked at the cats and he looked at the window and he saw the bird and the dog started barking at the bird well the cats reacted and they jumped higher than I've seen cats jump they just were up in the air all three of them just choo (laughs) Because they were so distracted by the bird that they didn't realize what was coming up from behind them. If the enemy can get us distracted from what Jesus is trying to teach us, he can keep us from receiving what's going to help us. And this woman is distracted. Now that he's talking about not needing water anymore, we're still focused on natural water. Hmm. You mean I won't have to come here to this well and draw anymore? This would be great. Jesus has got to be pulling his hair out. <clears throat> Just, I mean, if I was Jesus, I would be pulling my hair out. It's like, will you please get a hold of this? We're not talking about the well. I don't have stuff to bring the well, the water out of the well. Not talking about the well. We're talking about different water. And I've got that water. I don't have that water. I asked you for that water. But if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for the water that I have. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. We aren't getting very very far with this woman, are we? So Jesus changes the the matter. He says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. We're trying to get her to see something from a different... You know, I'm not talking about normal stuff here, folks. I mean, how do I know this about you? We haven't even met yet. I know this because of the everlasting water that's on the inside of me. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So after a probing discussion of some life events, a perception is made. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Is, is, is this woman wise or... All right, so we got this, this guy in front of us. He's already identified. If I have something that if you knew who I was and what I had, you would have asked me and I would have given it to you. And it was everlasting, everlasting water that springs up into everlasting life. And she's already trying to compare it to the water and we're getting nowhere with that. So he talks about her life and where she's come from. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Is this question going to bring any light onto what we're talking about? Not at all. 
Not at all. Now you wonder, why is this woman put in the Word of God if her questions are so bad? Hello. <laughs> because, folks, sometimes our questions are just as bad as these are. And God is trying to get some spiritual principles over to us to help us in our life. And we're talking about this stuff. You know, we talked about that in the end times class with, uh, with folks. How many of you know unsaved people who love to ask end times questions? And they can't understand them. You know, it's, they got no revelation. They got, they're not born again. They can't understand the things that they're trying to ask. And so I've always uh, told people to answer them this way. That, um, you know, they come to me and, and they say, you know, well, what about this? Well, what's the matter to you? You don't believe it anyway. And then just move on. You're not going to argue into believing these things. Sometimes folks just don't be distracted by the things that they throw out. So she's trying to, well, we're getting a little personal here. I don't really want to get into this. So let's, let's go over here and talk about worship on mountains. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Now you can hear this any way you want. You can hear this, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Or you can hear it this way. Woman, Believe me. <laughs> now, however you want to hear that, we can't pick that up in the, uh, in the text. But one way or the other, Jesus probably asked it. Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So why in the world are we arguing about where we're worshiping the Father now? Days coming when you're not going to be worshiping the Father here or there. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. That's a great way to win Samaritans over, isn't it? Trying to win people over here. Say something like that. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus is bringing it back to this area of living water even though she's trying to get it distracted. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, Jesus hadn't been talking about Messiah, but he was talking about future days when the chief kind of ran without his, when Messiah would come. How many people has Jesus ever identified himself, I am the Messiah? Not many. There are a handful, but not many. This woman was one of the ones that he identified himself and said, basically, I am the Messiah. I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he, was talking, that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now, the disciples are kind of surprised that he's talking to the woman, Samaritan woman at that. She leaves her water pot, which is the whole reason for her coming out there to go back into the city. But look at what she says. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Is there any doubt in that statement? Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. She thoroughly believes what she just said. 
Could this be the Christ? Is there faith in that? There's wondering. We're not sure. Jesus, in his discussions, he said, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. He didn't tell her everything he did, but he told her enough that she figured he knows it all. (laughs) So uh, that part she believed. But Jesus also said, I am the Messiah. And so she says to them about that, could this be the Messiah? Isn't it interesting that she has such faith in the first part than not the second? Now, the first part she can identify with. She can, she can compare what Jesus says to her life and say, well, that's true. The second part she can't. Remember back when we started this series? We are supposed to test whether something, test a spirit's source, not its truth. If you know that it comes from God, then you know it is true. If it does not come from God, it may be partly true. It may even be true. But it's revealed for the wrong reasons. So Jesus says to her, he reveals to her, I who am speaking to you am he. Tells her that. She can't compare that to truth. So she doesn't present it as truth. She presents the first part as truth because I can compare that. This is where most Christians are. If God reveals something to me and it agrees with what I know, I will accept it. If God reveals something to me, but I can't compare it to anything that I know, I can't grasp it, then I'm, I'll present it as I'm not sure. You can only get so far in your Christian walk if you approach things this way. If you cannot get to the place in your Christian walk where God can speak things to your spirit, you know it came from God, and He revealed it to you, and you know beyond anything that it is true. In this story, we don't have to go any further than this story. How does Jesus know that she's had five husbands? How does Jesus know that she is living with a person who is not her husband? How does he know that? Would it not have been revealed to him? So by the Spirit, it is revealed to Jesus, and Jesus presents it as fact. But Jesus has nothing in himself to compare it to, to know whether it's true. He's seen no intelligence on this woman. No one has scouted the city out. Check it out. Nothing like that's going on. He's just received it in his spirit. And he spoke it out as it was true. Jesus does this many times. Eventually, his disciples walk in this as well. Paul walked in this. Jesus would reveal things to him. And he spoke it out as truth even though he had nothing to compare it to. See, until you can get to that place in your life, you can only go so far. God wants to reveal things to you that are beyond your knowledge, beyond your understanding. But you've got to first off be able to tell, is this from God or is this not? Is this God's voice? Is it not God's voice? Now, we see this all the time. If you have a dog, does that dog not learn your voice? When you have a child, that child grows up, can that child not pick out your voice amongst all? Can you not pick out your child's voice, even in a crowded mall? 
You can hear that child's voice. You can pick it out. Wait a minute, I heard... They're over here. Because I heard that voice. Out of all the voices talking, you heard that one. Remember I had that experience. In a mall, maybe a friend, somebody that you know, and they called out to you, oh, I heard that, I heard that. You can hear about all the other voices, doesn't matter. I heard that one. And that's the one I know. Your phones can now know your voice. How many have ever trained your phone to your voice? How many have never even heard your phone can do this? My, my word. You guys live back in the Stone Age or what? Well, if you don't know this, your phone can learn your voice. Most, I think even iPhones can do it. I'm not totally positive on the iPhone. I'm pretty sure iPhones have finally put this in there. But I know that the Androids can. That you can train your phone to learn your voice and teach it a phrase. And whenever it hears your voice say that phrase, it wakes up. And you can ask it any question that you want to. Somebody else could try and do it, and it wouldn't listen to them. Because it will learn your voice. If our phones can do it, if our dogs can do it, cats can do it. Dogs can. If your kids can do it, how much more should we be able to do this with the Father? And if we don't learn his voice, he can't speak the things to us that he needs us to hear. And we need to hear them. Because if I hear those things, I can begin to ask other questions. Well, we go on here with the disciples. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now, if you left a guy, he was hungry, thirsty, and tired, Went in town, got some food, came on back, and now he's full. He doesn't want to eat. What are you thinking? All right, somebody came over here and gave him some food, right? I mean, look at him. He's all perked up now. He's got energy. And, uh, <laughs> and we didn't make it. None of us came on back here. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, we were all in the city, right? Did, did you leave early and, go, and bring him something? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labors. They're trying to understand what Jesus is saying the same way that the woman was trying to understand it through natural things. What's he talking about? I have food that you, that you don't know of. Somebody else bring them some stuff? Is there a delivery place we didn't know about? They're trying to understand it the same way she was. Trying to understand everlasting life-giving water with regular water. They're trying to understand work of the Father being food to food that they went and got. But then he goes on and says this, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So now we'll understand this. When Jesus parked himself at the well and he sent his disciples on, he sent them on to get a harvest. What they came back with was food. He stayed back behind and here was this woman. And she basically was sent after the disciples because the disciples came back without the harvest. 
So as he saw them coming back, and they came back by themselves, she went on. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. What's her testimony? Is it that he is the Christ? No. It's he told me all that I ever did because that's the part she was sure about. So the Samaritans came because some guy met her at the well and told her everything that she did. Most of those guys probably already knew what she did too. For some reason they came on out. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So they came out because of the words of Jesus, believing that he was the Christ. They came to the meetings because of the word of the woman. He told me everything that I did. But they believed that he was the Christ because of the words that he spoke. And they believed a spiritual principle that Jesus was the Messiah. Back with, with Jesus, when he was dealing with his own disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? He asked them a question. And he said, they said, well, some say Elijah. Some say a prophet. Some say John the Baptist. All kinds of things came out. Who do you say that I am? I like how Jesus did that. He asked first off a question for them to get all out of their system of what people were saying. All right, now clear that out. He didn't really care what people were saying. He wanted to get it out of their system. Now that you got that out of their system, what people are saying about me, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? What would have happened if Jesus asked this question first? Who do you say that I am? Well, you know, we're not sure. You might be, some, some of us think you might be Elijah. <clears throat> uh, we know you're a prophet. No, he let him get all that other stuff out of their system first. And then Peter was, the stage was set for Peter to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Talks about it being revealed truth. And from that point on, he changed the way he was teaching them. And he began to teach them about how he would be offered up, crucified, buried for three days, and so forth. You know, you know the things he was, he was teaching them. Because of what they understood. But the disciples came here, and Jesus is talking to them about food. And they can only understand it in the natural. He sent them to get a harvest. But they came back with food. The woman went into the same city the same place and came back with a harvest because Jesus said look the fields are white on the harvest and what's he see a whole mess of Samaritans coming down the road coming to hear Jesus what happened afterwards they stayed because of his words they believed because of his words and a harvest was had and Jesus was telling them people have come before and they have sown they have watered I sent you in there to harvest what they had done you could have had a harvest but instead, nothing. She got a harvest. She went into the same town and came out with something much better. Our questions have got to change with God. We're asking a lot of times the same questions over and over. We're not getting an answer, so we ask it again. We ask the same kind of weak questions. 
and it's only going to sustain a weak existence. The only way that scientists can become great and well-known is when they ask questions that people haven't asked before, that people haven't pondered on before. Newton came up with theories because he asked questions. People before him, Galileo, others, they asked questions. How does it work? What's going on? Einstein asked questions that some of us can't even fathom the question. Can't even understand the question. But they, they ask questions. And, and these people, almost all of them, that I, at least the ones I know of, they were God-fearing people. They trusted God to reveal to them how the universe worked, how things were going on. And they'd ask questions. How is it that light can do this? How is it that, that this can go on? How does this, how does this happen? And questions are asked. And sometimes answers are, are received. But questions are asked. You know, we, you all know my, I love Star Trek. I saw one of those uh, little things every once in a while thrown up there. Do you know how many inventions Star Trek came up with that we currently work on today? How many inventions they envisioned back in the 60s when Star Trek came out? They came out with the flip phone, didn't they? Flip that phone up there, right? Flip that thing and hold up to your and talk, right? Way before it was ever invented. Way before it was ever invented. They had computers doing things. You would talk to a computer, and the computer would answer you. They they had um, what, they, what do they call it? The, the video chats. They did video chats. Put it on a big screen. In fact, they even had the first big screen TV right there on Star Trek. How many of y'all have a Bluetooth device? Yep, Star Trek. Star Trek. Not in the first series, but in the second series that came on out. Do you remember they had the little lapel pin? And what'd you do with that? You tap it, and you say, Captain, and it would go right to the captain. Scotty, right over to Scotty. Just, just tap it. And you could talk to anybody you wanted to. It would find them. You can even tap it and say, computer, where's the captain? He's located on deck 33, section 8. I can tell you right where the captain is. How many of y'all enjoy a tablet computer? Yeah, Star Trek. Go back to the next generation and take a look at what the captain did all his work on. Little tablet computer. Now, how did these things come about? Because people ask questions. What kind of inventions can we put in this now we haven't beamed anybody anywhere yet that one hasn't come up we haven't traveled at light speed we haven't done all those kind of things there's still other other things that they came up with and that they're doing and uh, I mean phasers phasers yeah we're working with lasers now you know I have one for my aquarium I have a laser for my aquarium you got to be careful with that thing because it will ki- it will hurt you I have a laser <coughs> Because there's these little pests that grow up in my, my tank. And um, can't get, I can't find anything to get rid of them. And they eventually take over the tank and they kill stuff that you like. And so I was doing research. For months I've been doing research. What do people do to get rid of these things? And everybody had theories and so forth. And one guy, he says, I've been trying this laser out 
well, I can't find where to buy the laser. Well, this guy said he told me where he bought it from, so I ordered the thing and, and got it, came on in. And um, this thing is, is a fairly powerful. You put two batteries in it, and it lasts for about two minutes. That's all it lasts for. It lasts for about two minutes. And you just focus it onto one of the little critters that's growing in there, and you can hear it crackling. You can hear it crackling. You can hear it just start cooking. It's cooking the thing up. It's a laser. It's just, and so I went from having about 30, 40 that I could see to we're down to about you know, a handful. Sometimes it takes more than one time burning them up to, to get them to go away. But, but one time I was, I was doing this, and I try and do it when no one else is in the room because you're supposed to be wearing glasses. and all, I mean, It's a bright light. And I'm burning this thing off. And you know how you, you have to hold it still. The little things, little critters are only small. Holding it real still, holding it there, trying to keep it on this thing. And just then, just as I'm focusing on this thing, a bug lands on my arm. You ever had that? Bug. Now, you've got to keep your eyes focused on what you're doing because if you don't, then you, the, the beam won't go there, go someplace else, and might, you know, it can hurt somebody else. And it, it's, a, it's a decent beam. So I'm focused on that doggone bug landing on my arm. So I turned the, the laser off. Look, bug was gone. Turned the laser back on. I'm back over there firing away at this thing, trying to burn this thing off. And the bug landed back on my arm again. Except now it bit me. So I, I, I look on over. I'm not moving this time. I'm looking over. You know what? It's a laser. The laser is actually reflecting off the glass in the tank and coming out and hitting my arm. And it was burning my arm. <laughs> so from that point on, I was real careful about, all right, where's the reflection going? Because it set a you know, furniture on fire or something like that. It's a It's a laser. It is a laser, and it's doing its job. And the fish are very curious when I'm doing it during the time when they're awake. They're very curious and looking there and see what this, this thing is because it's, uh, it's, it's a light. Now, this is, just, this is a really low-powered laser. We have much higher-powered lasers. I don't know that we could have phasers yet, but um, we are getting up there into, the, into this area. So another thing, because people ask questions, and because those questions they get answers to, and then they get other questions, and inventions come up. And things happen. You know, somebody asked the question, do we always have to talk on the phone with a cord? And, of course, that's been, been uh, settled. How many of you were just thrilled when the phone came along and you were able to talk to somebody with a cord? Now, most of us don't even have corded phones in the house. We don't like them. But our questions need to be born of some things. There needs to be some qualities in these, in these questions to take our lousy questions and turn them into good questions. To turn our questions into questions that get God's attention. That God says, I want to send an answer to this one. Get an answer over to this one. Make them understand as it said to Daniel. Our questions need to be born of knowledge and understanding. You need to press into the presence of God to get more knowledge and understanding of his word. Of who he is. Of what he's going to do. Of what he's doing. And you will ask questions of God that God says, hold I've been waiting for someone to ask me that question. Send them the answer. Send them the answer. You know, we think of the inventions that Star Trek has. We have not come up with light, uh, with warp speed yet. You know, they have warp one, two, three, four, five, six. It's pretty neat the way they, they uh, gauge all those things. they got all this, this stuff going on. Does God know how to travel in warp speed? Uh, warp speed is kind of slow for God. I've heard it said before that angels travel at the speed of thought. That basically you can go from one place to another. Just there you are. And uh, 
and, and go to town. I mean, if you think of the, the question in Daniel that he asked, and three weeks later he got the answer. Well, the angel went from heaven to the heavens above the earth instantly and battled for three weeks. It didn't take him a week to get there, a day to get there. He, goes, he got there right away. So God knows how to travel at speeds faster than warp, than when we've imagined warp to be. But you've got to grow in your knowledge, grow in your understanding of the Word. When you study the Word, you should study the Word for the purpose of coming up with questions. Most of the time we study the Word, we try and come up with answers. But you can study the Word to come up with questions. Daniel studied the Word and came up with a question, and God immediately sent the answer. He then came up with another question, and God immediately sent that answer. Don't just study the Word to get answers. Study the Word to get questions. Questions that you can ask God. Because then when He sends you that answer, then you can ask another one. How many of y'all know when you were in grade school, until you learned that 2 plus 2 equals 4, you couldn't go anywhere with multiplication? And until you learn multiplication and division, you couldn't go anywhere with algebra. And until you learned algebra, you couldn't go anywhere with trigonometry. Each one progressed into the other. Too often we're satisfied with addition into things of God. He wants to move us up to multiplication. He wants to move us up to algebra. He wants us to go up into the higher things of God. That's his desire. To get there, got to ask some questions. Our questions need to be born of knowledge and understanding. We must remove limits and distractions. Stop being distracted by stupid things, by flesh things. But, wow, I don't think I like that. How many have ever studied something in the Word of God and said, well, I don't think I like the way that's turning out right there. We're, we're putting a limit on. Well, I don't want to learn anything in that area. I don't want to do that. You know, if I learn that, I'm going to become responsible for it. So I don't think I want to learn learn anything in there. Get rid of your limits. Get rid of your distractions. Look at how distracted this woman was. Look at the limits that she put on what Jesus was trying to explain. The limit of the well and the water. Trying to understand everything within the sphere of her understanding. Look at the disciples coming and they did exactly the same thing. Trying to understand what Jesus was talking about and what they understood about food and what they had gone into the city to do. They weren't understanding what Jesus was saying. We've got to remove the limits and the distractions. Here's the last one. Our perception is off. If our perception is off, our revelation will be too. If our perception is off, so will our revelation. When Jesus said to the disciples, beware of the, Pharisee, beware of the teaching of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and so forth. Beware of it. And they thought it was because they didn't take bread. And Jesus was amazed. That's the revelation you got? That's the understanding that you came up with? But how many times has God spoken something to us and we came out with a far less than what was intended meaning? Because our perception was off. Because our perception was off, our revelation was off. And then people begin to go out and they, talk, they teach this revelation. And that's not what Jesus meant at all. That's not what the Word of God was trying to get across to you. Grow in your knowledge and your understanding. And as you grow in your knowledge and understanding, when you approach the Word of God, 
approach it. Father God, there's some questions in here I could be asking. Show me those questions because if I can ask the question, you can send me the answer. Get rid of the limits. Get rid of the distractions. Don't let your flesh be holding you back. And get your perception right. Because if your perception is right, your revelation will be right. Understand what Jesus is trying to get to you. And when God gives you revelation, I've told you this often over and over again, write it down. Because the likelihood that you will understand what he is revealing to you today is not real high. You'll get some. But write it down exactly as he says it to you. Don't write down the Amplified Translation. Write down exactly what he said. You may not understand it. You, if, you give, if you write it down in the Amplified, you're Amplified I'm talking about. If you amplify it and write it down that way, then you may lose what it is that he was saying. Write it down exactly as he said. And then go back and meditate on it. And go back and meditate on it. And go back and meditate on it. And keep meditating on it until you get a handle on it. And then begin to fire up a question. God, I got a question for you. What about this? And then God will send another revelation. And you can meditate on that. And meditate on that. And meditate on that. And then fire another question. And as, as you keep doing this, you keep growing. But it all starts with understanding what the Spirit of God is saying. Understanding that it is Him who speaks. Learn how to discern what God has said. Of all the spirits that are out there, learn how to tell it is His. Father, I know that is the voice of Your Spirit that You spoke this to me. Now I need to get what You're trying to say. You may not understand it. It may not even be within the scope of what You have learned. But God will teach you more. He will expand you. He desires to expand you. He desires to grow you up. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. Your desire is to grow us. Your desire is to expand us. Your desire is to take us to higher places. I thank you, Father. Give me the praise and the glory for it. You desire to send answers to us. You desire to hear questions come to your ears. Questions that are born of faith, full of thanksgiving, that are patient. Questions, Father, that are born of knowledge and understanding, not ones born of ignorance. And Father, we want to grow in our questions so we can grow in our walk. There is no question we can ask that is too great for you. Thank you for the help that you give us, Father. All praise and honor be to you. Glory be to God. If you're here thinking today, some of the questions I ask of God, I'm kind of sorry I asked. My questions have been holding me back. I'm asking complaining questions. I'm asking unthankful questions. I'm asking questions that were ignorant. Questions that I wasn't quite getting what God was saying before I asked the question. How many of you realize here this morning my questions could be a whole lot better? Raise your hand. 
Father, you see, we wanted to, we want to grow in our questions. I thank you that you give us help. Because when we ask good questions, we get fantastic answers. And those answers help us to grow. You want us to understand what's going on in our world, what's going on in our families, what's going on in our life, what's going on in our calling. You want us to understand these things. And we want to ask questions that bring that understanding. Thank you for the help that you are always willing to give. We constantly do. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. We have some praise reports. How many of you don't remember Marty? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're in store for some fun. He's, he's a, lot of, a lot of fun. Um, he'll be here Friday evening, um, Saturday evening, and then Sunday morning, Sunday night. So that's the 30th, the 1st, and the 2nd. And that's the only dates that I can think of. Oh, there is no women's prayer breakfast this, this month because of all the things at the end of the month with Marty and whatnot. So I just want to make note of that. All right. Um, if you have not seen Marty before, you can go up on YouTube and do a search for Marty Blackwelder, and I believe some things will come up, and you can en- enjoy that. He is, a, he is a lot of fun. He was the praise and worship leader for Brother Hagen for uh, many, many years, and uh, every time we went down to the Bible seminar, he was the guy who was leading worship before the, the team would get up there and do things. He was part of the uh, Rama team as well, but he would, uh, he would do a lot of the, the worship in the beginning of, of meetings and so forth. Just a real fun guy. Uh, I think it's been a couple of years since we had him out. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to having him come on out here. 
So that'll be, and we're doing this, uh, we'll talk about it more at the salt meeting, but uh, we're looking to do uh, Friday night, 7.30. Marty does not go as long as um, some of the uh, Hoskins and some of the other, it's not quite as long of a meeting. So we didn't really need to move it up to 7. But Saturday we kept at 6 o'clock because you all get up early for church and we didn't want there to be too much uh, time for that. So that's why I kept that at 6. And it also makes it easier to keep Saturday and Sunday the same time at 6. Sunday is a little bit easier for 6 o'clock since... Um, uh, a lot of people who uh, who come out to the service either hang around at somebody's house until the evening service comes. But we can't make it too much sooner than that because uh, we have to let the guest speaker get some rest in between. So we're looking looking forward to, to him getting a little bit of rest in there. But he's willing to come Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. He says not too many people do extended meetings anymore. He loves them when we get them. I don't know how people do them outside of extended meetings. I love extended meetings. I just think you can get more out of the, out of the whole time when that's going on. So that will be uh, happening here. End times class will be next week. We'll be picking up, finishing in the book of Daniel. And then in October, we'll be moving on into some of the other things we have going on. Uh, Wednesday night. I did want to tell you some of this. I talked to the folks on Wednesday, put up an event on Facebook. How many saw the event I put up on Facebook for Wednesday? One, two, three, four. That's it, huh? All right. I'm trying different ways to get uh, people to, to see these things. So. Uh, if you do see them, react to them, interact with them. It helps me know that people are seeing them, that it's a worthwhile thing to, to do. Really love to see your interaction on there. Throw some comments up, whatever you want to, to do. But we made that for this one. What we're going to do here on Wednesday night is no matter where you were, what side you stand on, Republican, Democrat, whatever it might be, I think it, it stands that most of us would say that our first choice in the primaries didn't make it through. For some, the second choice didn't make it through. For some, might even go as far as to say the third choice didn't make it through. However it is, for most people that are facing the election right now, we are looking at someone who was not our favorite choice running for president. And then you get all kinds of attitudes and look like, well, I'm not going to vote for anybody. Uh, I don't want to vote for second best. I don't want to vote for third best and, and um, attitudes of, uh, like that. So what do we do? about that. We're going to be looking at it this way. What do you do when the person running for president, persons, persons, running for president is not God's choice? What do you do if it's not your choice? What are your responsibilities on that? What will go on? We're, going to, we're trying to keep the policies and the politics out of the discussion. What I want to look at is just going in the word. We're, we're not looking at the people that are running the election process, stuff like that. We're looking at the word of God. Because all I want to know is, what is God's opinion on this? If I vote for someone who's a second or third choice, if I vote for someone who only partially stands for the things of God, am I doing a disservice to God by voting for them? Because that's the question I hear most times being asked by by people that are Christians and so forth. So I want to take a look at that in the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be doing that on Wednesday, 730. We'll be here for for that. So if you you want to make it or not for that, it's just going to probably be a one-night uh, thing that we're going to be doing, just the one Wednesday night. I don't really expect it to go more than the more than the one, but we'll see how it goes from from there. So that'll be this Wednesday. Plenty of time to get us ready for the election and what's what's coming up. So let's all stand up again. Candy Rouse said that Bobby wasn't feeling well today. Not too many more details on it than that. So keep him in your in your prayers that his faith continues to rise above the things that try and come against him, and that stand together. Drop them a note. Let them know that you're, you're praying for them, standing with them. They'd love to, uh, to hear that. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. As we go out this week, that we go out as your lights. The people are going to be asking us questions. And when they do, 
you're going to give us answers. But Father, we're going to ask you some questions of you. And I thank you for the answers that you give us. Those answers help us to grow. We can also pass them on to others and help them to grow. We thank you for the things you do for us in the area of questions. Father, I thank you for your hand that is on Bobby and Candy, that their faith is strong and growing, and that nothing is able to pull them down. We just stand with them in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the week. Nothing else going on.